Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. All right, everybody, welcome back. Hour three of Sports Talk Saturday here. We're doing the smart thing, which is get into college football, which everyone will be uh, kind of eyes glued to the TV today as uh, as teams fight out these conference championships. And joining me now on the Western Hotline to help me talk about it is Brandon Marcello. Brandon is the national college football uh, reporter for 24-7 Sports. First of all, Brandon, thank you so much for being so generous with your time this afternoon. Uh, I very much appreciate it. How's, uh, how's preparation for the SEC championship going? Uh, good. It is uh, Atlanta, is, as you might expect, is just packed with Georgia fans uh, last night and today. And uh, we'll see how this one transpires. I mean, I mean, Georgia, with that defensive line against Alabama's offensive front, which has been struggling of late, uh, that could be a huge mismatch in this one. Yeah, and, I, and I'm wondering, you know, obviously, it's funny, I, I was kind of listening to ESPN Radio on my way in, Brandon, and, and, and the talk about how this college football playoff ends up getting figured out and 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 I I did like this point right it was kind of like if your stance on Alabama because I think everybody assumes Alabama is going to lose this football game tonight and maybe that's premature maybe we shouldn't be collectively just dismissing their ability to win against Georgia but let's just say that we go with that would you say it's disingenuous to say that like Cincinnati, if they if they take care of business, they beat Houston, they go undefeated, that they belong in the college football playoff over an Alabama team with two losses. I think we can say that we're rewarding the the, the Bearcats for not losing and and taking care of business throughout the regular season. But I don't think we should make the claim that anyone believes they're better than Alabama. So if that's the case, what is your argument for Cincinnati to be in and over in Alabama? And maybe the, this argument is going to end up being a moot point. If Alabama wins, they'll be in regardless of whatever happens to Cincinnati. But like, I'm of the mind that this committee should reward Cincinnati for going undefeated, but not necessarily believe they're better than Alabama. Well, I would say that they probably are better than Alabama because, I mean, Alabama's best win of the season is against Ole Miss at home. And outside of that, they don't really have a top-tier huge win. Hmm. Cincinnati's beaten a top-five team or a top-ten team in Notre Dame on the road, and they beat them by double digits. Alabama does not have a single victory on their resume that matches that. And then also, I mean, consider this. I mean, Alabama, you know, we talk about wins or wins, but they've been struggling the last couple of weeks. And I think that, you know, if Alabama loses today, we've never seen a two-loss team reach the playoff. And I don't see why, you know, a two-loss Alabama team that does not have really a marquee win on their on their resume deserves to be in either, even – even if we want to say, hey, maybe I test says they're better than Cincinnati, but the numbers are the numbers. And I'll tell you this, this committee, you know, I took part in a, a committee exercise in Dallas earlier this year. They gave us the same analytics and everything that the college football playoff committee uses. And, boy, they rely heavily on analytics, points per possession, um, things of that sort, and, of course, strength of schedule and everything you really want. And if you look, you try to compare Cincinnati 
and Alabama head-to-head with kind of strength of schedule games they've won and everything, it really isn't much of an argument when you look at those two teams that way. And I, I think Cincinnati is, you know, for Cincinnati, they've got to be cheering hard right now for Baylor to hold on here against Oklahoma State because if, if Baylor ends up winning this game against Oklahoma State, not to say that secures things for Cincinnati. Cincinnati's still got to win. But, man, I, there's not many scenarios where the Bearcats get knocked out of the playoff now. Yeah, I, it's going to be a really – listen, I, I, Cincinnati holds their their future in their own hands today. I, I, I think with a team like Notre Dame, they don't necessarily have that luxury. I think that if you're an Irish fan, you're looking at this Baylor game right now thinking here is at least one domino that needs to fall. Talking about Notre Dame here, now that we know Freeman is, is the head coach here, and it looks like the committee won't really penalize them for losing Brian Kelly – what are your thoughts on what else needs to happen? Obviously, Baylor's got to be – they're going to have to beat Oklahoma State for them to get in, and I don't believe a two-loss Baylor team just hops over Notre Dame with a Big, uh, with a Big, Ten cha- or Big 12 championship, I'm sorry. But you know, what else do they need to happen if Notre Dame finds this route in? Well, for Notre Dame, as you said, they need, they need Baylor to upset Oklahoma State, and they need Cincinnati to lose today, uh, in my opinion. And uh, that, that's asking a lot, and that, that only really gives them in the, in the conversation of, of doing so. What hurts Notre Dame also, of course, is, you know, they, they don't have a conference championship to play in them of their own. And the committee really weighs those heavily uh, in these final rankings. You know, the penultimate rankings, really, if you look through history, haven't really meant much. There's a lot of movement between the 10 ultimate rankings and the ones after the championship weekend on selection Sunday, at least within the top four and top five, top six, depending on how conference championships go. And, you know, Notre Dame, you know, their, their resume has been mailed in for a week now and, and really for the last two weeks uh, because of their last game wasn't really, uh, you know, much of a, of a contest. So I think Notre Dame's got to kind of root for some chaos here and, you know, one one domino to fall would be Baylor maybe holding on here and beating Oklahoma State, but I think they really need Cincinnati to lose. And and then there's the other argument for this: Notre Dame didn't win a conference, didn't have a conference championship, of yep. course. And then your your one loss is against Cincinnati, a team that just lost to a kind of bottom rung top twenty five team. So that might actually hurt their strength of schedule further. Are you are you of the mind though, and, and this is always an argument of a team that maybe loses early in the season and then finds their way, you know, wins a bunch of games in a row to end the season, and they're sort of the, the recency bias steps in. Where are you on it like a potential recency bias with Notre Dame? Because this is a team that was sort of going through the quarterback uh, Rolodex early in the season using Tyler Buckner going to to Drew Pine, um, but finally it looks like Jack Cohn has really settled in as the team's full time starter. Has been playing a way more consistent brand of football than he was earlier in the season. Do you think? And here's maybe the biggest factor, Brandon, is their offensive line has has been playing like a Notre Dame offensive line over the last five or six weeks, and not the unit that was basically juggling in five different starting left tackles. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think in the end, you know, that the committee does weigh, you know, lineups and star players yep. are out and, of course, head coaches and everything. But if that was the case, we would have seen certain moves like that in the last couple of weeks, and we haven't really seen that. And I, I don't – there's no way for Notre Dame to move up unless two, three teams ahead of them lose. And then, then it becomes a situation of, well, what do those other teams around them and even below them do on championship weekend? And as I said – there's still t- teams playing today that are even below them 
that Notre Dame's going to worry about. So it's it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty outside shot. But as I said, I, I think I think the easiest way in to really kind of could, you know when you could go to bed tonight and think, hey, maybe Notre Dame's got a shot. Got to be Cincinnati losing tonight, and of course Baylor beating Oklahoma State here in the Big 12 championship. Brandon Marcello here of 24-7 Sports on the Western Hotline. We're talking some college football here. Brandon, I got a couple more for you here before I let you go. Uh, and and the one I wanted to start with was, the, the obviously this week, the news of Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley sort of leaving in the dead of night. Um, I, I want to ask you first about Brian Kelly, because I'm not sure there's going to be maybe the recruiting um, – I don't know what what I want to what word I want to use, but it feels like the way that Brian Kelly left Notre Dame. It first of all, it feels like it left a lot of sour, uh, uh, like it's a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. He's sort of been a punchline, and not just amongst Notre Dame fans, but like nationally, a punchline for how he handled the situation. Do you expect that to hurt, like his recruiting process? I mean, he was in a living room. Uh, denying the fact that that he w- was going to be moving moving away from Notre Dame and taking the LSU job, but moments later actually accepts it and, and changes his profile on his Twitter before he it was even officially announced. Like, do you expect any sort of um, maybe down the road issues that Brian Kelly might find recruiting uh, in LSU, or do you believe that's just the nature of the beast and and kids are going to forget about that kind of stuff? Yeah, I don't think the kids will even necessarily know about that stuff unless, you know, rival schools, which they will, they'll try to tell them all about it. But I want to tell you, I mean, 17-year-old kids, it's going to go out one ear, you know, one in, out one, into one ear, not the other, because, you know, listen, LSU parentally is like a top-10 recruiting program, no matter really who the coach is there. And you bring in Brian Kelly and, of course, the staff members he's bringing in, they're putting so much more money into recruiting efforts when it just comes to travel and, and all the camps and everything. I, I don't think that's necessarily going to hurt him there. And, and to be quite honest, I think a lot of the the outcry and stuff has really been perpetrated quite a bit, and and, and probably deservedly so. I, I'm not I'm not you know uh, stomping on it, but it's been perpetrated a little bit by Notre Dame, you know, releasing videos and everything of of. Uh, of, of you know the coaches saying they're staying there and all this and it almost makes Notre Dame feel like it's an underdog which listen it's a terrible situation they're put in but I think more than anything like people like us were you know in the media looking at Twitter and all this stuff we get caught up in it and so do everyday fans I'm not so sure a 17 year old kid is going to care all that much when sure. Brian Kelly comes in their in their living room and goes hey come to LSU we're ready-made, ready to win, win a championship here in the next couple of years. And, uh, you know, history shows LSU can do that no matter who the coach is. And I'm a better coach than the last two. So um, I don't think it's really going to hurt them all that much. Lastly, uh, before I let you go here, Brandon, your thoughts on Lincoln Riley's move to USC, what it means for the program moving forward, and how quickly you expect it? Because ultimately, Brandon, like, there is a turnaround that needs to happen at the University of Southern California. Yeah, absolutely. And if they can get in the transfer portal and really add some instant impact players, uh, that could help them immediately in, in year one. Not to say that they'll be winning a Pac-12 championship or anything like that, but because of this transfer portal, and we've seen it at Georgia to a certain extent and even Florida last year, transfer portal really transformed those teams. And I think with, with USC, something similar could happen. You know, I, I got this feeling this week and, of course, last night watching Oregon, which that – that, that, that blowout against Utah wasn't too surprising to me considering how they played two weeks ago against them. But it almost felt like I was seeing the end of Mario Cristobal's opportunity, the window closing on him. 
to win a Pac-12 championship and then transfer that into a playoff appearance. Um, you know, last night they were going to get it in there anyway. But I think that we're the transfer of power, the power in the Pac-12 is always going to be in USC, at USC. And now that they've actually got an elite coach with a great recruiting staff around him and a lot of connections in the transfer portal to get some great players, I don't see how Oregon's going to be able to keep up with this because USC can quickly just turn this back around and make everybody remember, oh, yeah. Not to say USC will be winning national championships, but it'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember the USC of 15 years ago where they could pretty much go in anybody's living room on the West Coast mm-hmm. and get a kid. Oregon was really had tried to take over that role, and it just didn't quite work out. It hasn't worked out on the field. And, and real quick on Oregon, I mean, listen, you had Justin Herbert as a quarterback, and you were – very conservative with yeah. him a couple of years ago. And and we saw it this year with Anthony Brown, not a great quarterback. I, I just I just think that the best opportunities for Oregon to win this a championship of some sort and, and unseat USC, those days are over. USC is going to be back here the next couple of years. And what a catch that just was made by Baylor there. They yeah. go up 21-3 to over Oklahoma State. So uh, that'll be an interesting – the rest of this game will be interesting to watch if Baylor can hold off an Oklahoma State run in the second half. But, Brandon, I appreciate you so much. Thanks for making time. I know you've got a busy schedule today with the SEC Championship. Enjoy the game tonight. And uh, let's do this again soon at some time, uh, maybe in the offseason, when, uh, when we're searching and, and hurting for some good college football topics. I really appreciate you, man. All right, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Brandon Marcello there of 24-7 Sports joining me on the West Tour Hotline to, to chat about college football. And uh, I've already got people complaining that I'm talking about Notre Dame. I asked three Notre Dame questions in a show where I've spent two hours talking about the Buffalo Bills. So apologies for uh, for talking college football for 15 minutes, for God's sakes. Anyways, um, I wanted to quickly uh, before – and, Zach, by the way, who do we did, – did we did we find someone that we're going to replay here for the 130 segment? Who do we got? Anybody Anybody good? We got somebody good, right? Yeah, yesterday, uh, Jermaine Wiggins, a former Patriots tight end oh, okay. and current radio personality, uh, was with the X-Point Show with Sal and Joe, and he's going to – I think we're going to replay that. All right, love that. Well, so you'll hear that um, – in our 130 block, Jermaine Wiggins, that is, of course. Um, until we get to that, I, I, I wanted to – obviously, I don't get to do pregame this week uh, considering that Chopin Bulldog have pregame, and there – I guess there are – there's a couple of things. Like, I haven't wrote an article this week. I saw Jeremy's article, which got uh, quote-tweeted and, and a full article written about in Barstool, which, if that's happening, I texted Jeremy last night. I was like, so, like – is there a is there a badge? Like what happens? Do you get like a special hat or a token for being, you know, being referred to in a barstool uh like, you know, in, in a barstool article? I think there's some sort of badge that it goes with that. I would think so. I like the hat idea. The hat, hat? idea is pretty good. Yeah, like some sort of like or a pin of some a sticker. I don't know, something. Pin would be good. A pin, a pin would be good. I, I think a pin's fair. So, you know, listen, I I think as it stands right now, we're all in this place. As Bills fans, and and I, what I would, what I would be talking about on Monday night if I was doing pregame is the word trust. Do you how how about this? How can you trust this Bills team? And I'm sure a lot of you will have your reasons why you do trust this team. I think what is fair to say though, and this is my stance on this game, Monday night's game will go a long way in me regaining some of the trust I've lost in this football team. And trust isn't – it's not a bad word to say in regards to me losing trust in this team. There are several factors why I don't trust this team the same way I trust the 2020 version of this team. 
One of them is you no longer have one of the top five corners in football on the defense. And that's a fair reason to say I don't trust them. But that lack of trust or the diminishing trust I've had in this team has started before the Trey White injury. That's why the Trey White injury to me is so impactful because I'd already, there was cracks in the foundation before that injury. And here we are now sort of staring the most important regular season game this franchise has had in over a decade. I mean, maybe two decades. We're staring this game in the face not because, you know, the Bills aren't a good football team, but because they sort of let the Patriots sneak back in by not taking care of business against the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Bills beat the Jaguars, and they put up a better game against the Colts, but end up losing in a close game. They take care of Tennessee. They don't slip on the one-yard line. And this is a nine-win football team going into this game. You know, I don't think anyone's talking about the narratives that we're hearing. I don't care that the Patriots won five straight going into this game. If the Bills have nine wins, ESPN's not talking about, you know, ESPN's not putting Mac Jones as the face of this game in the matchup. They're not taking universally all four people on get up this week, taking the Patriots in this game. They're, none of them are doing that. If the Bills take care of business against a bad Jacksonville team and they can score more than six points, that's why... I think this game has taken on so much more meaning because of the diminishing trust everyone, not just me, but everyone, has had in this team since that Jacksonville game. That Jacksonville game had a ripcord, had a serious, serious domino effect on how people view this Bills football team. And it's fair to do so even if you're a Bills fan. So I think for me, I I look at what this matchup can bring and what this matchup can bring based on the weather it can bring a lot of what bills fans have feared about this team their shortcomings and to me their shortcomings come when teams want to play physical football and there is no way out in this football game with the weather at hand whoever wins the the game at the line of scrimmage is going to win this football game and i think you got to feel a little bit better that starlin tulele at least in some capacity will be back in the lineup I think you got to feel better that Spencer Brown seems healthy and will be back in the lineup. And I think John Feliciano, for all his flaws, brings a level of nasty, a level of grit and meanness that this offensive line has sorely been missing that they have not gotten from Cody Ford and from Mike Butker. By the way, as a pretty outward hater of Cody Ford, I think what's important to mention here is Chris Trapasso did a little breakdown of Cody Ford's uh, Thursday night on Thanksgiving against the New Orleans Saints. He actually played a pretty darn good game against the New Orleans Saints, against a good defensive line. And now he wasn't going one-on-one um, against uh, you know against Cam Hayward or anything. Um, or in this game, it wouldn't have been Cam Hayward, it Cam Jordan. But I look at what this team has accomplished this year. And they certainly have earned the right to go into this game as the favorite at home in primetime. They are. They're two-and-a-half-point favorites. And I think they've earned that, but nothing more than two-and-a-half points at home on a Monday Night Football game. But the the domino effect that will happen in a win or a loss after this game cannot be understated enough. Like, it just can't be understated. And I look at how this season has gone for the Bills. And they need to win this football game for a lot of reasons, but more so than any, is regaining the trust. The Bills will not more than likely have a chance to repeat and be in the AFC Championship game without the one seed. I, 
I threw the one seed out like four weeks ago. During after that Jacksonville game, I kind of said to myself, one seed's out, man. It's out. It's over. Move on. Figure out your next path. Try to get to two. Try to get to three. That was has been my mindset. With a win on Monday and a loss by by the Baltimore Ravens, the Bills are in the driver's seat for that one seed. And and I think about this. more And Aaron Schatz of, of Football Outsiders, who I will have on this show in the next couple of weeks because I, I really want to pick his brain on a couple of things. More, maybe most notably, is let's just assume these Bills – Patriots games, they split. Is there more value in winning the first one than the second one? Or is the value the same in both of these games? I think it would mean more because of a recency bias. I think it would mean more for the Bills to win on Monday and lose in their their next matchup against uh, uh, New uh, New England. But I think consensus would probably agree that in order for you to get that number one seed, you got to beat the Patriots twice. I think you got to kind of run the table. Maybe you can you can throw a hiccup of losing to Tampa in here as maybe the one hiccup that would still allow you to get in um, into that number one seed. But I think the number one seed went from a couple of weeks ago, me saying, eh, I don't care about it, I've moved on to bigger and better things, to now that it's back to being a reality with a win on Monday, I almost don't think there's a route for this team to get back to the AFC Championship game without it. The AFC needs to go through Orchard Park and not, and I don't love the idea of it going through Orchard Park, honestly, because of the weather implications. How crappy the home weather games have been this year. I don't really have an interest in watching this team play in this sort of weather. Um, in a game that means so much in an AFC Championship game. Having said that, I need it to be through Buffalo. I don't know what the AFC South is going to look like in three weeks. I think the I think the Tennessee Titans are not a good football team. They are borderline not good with AJ Brown, Julio Jones, and Derrick Henry. I don't. I think they're super overrated with those three. Without them, they are bad. They're not good, and it's totally possible they they could lose out. I mean, I think that's not likely, but they could lose. Four of their next five, three of their next five, and that would really put them in a tough position. I don't think the AFC any longer is going through Tennessee. Going through New England in a win, I just I don't like what the narrative will be if the Patriots win this football game. And it's maybe less about what the national media says, because the national media will make a way, will will figure out a way to still love the Patriots even if they lose to the Bills. The pa- they'll still get picked in that second matchup because the Patriots are the national media's darling. And how quickly the national media has forgotten about Josh Allen in his MVP runner-up season last year. How quickly that they've totally tossed aside 2020. It's a fluke now. That's, that's what they're saying. So I agree with Jeremy. The Bills absolutely have to win this football game. They have to win it. And it's not for sentimental reasons. It is for the rest of this season, but it's way more than that. Losing to this team on Monday night in front of the world would be, I mean, a disaster for this organization because of the narratives that will exist after that game. And it, and they will have been earned narratives. Let's let's be just truth and, truthful and honest about that. If the Bills lose, all of the things that will be said will have been warranted and likely true. So how do you avoid that? And at the end of the day, short of just not watching the crap is probably the answer here. But the only true way to avoid that narrative beginning, and frankly, it's already started. 
And it probably still takes on a, a mind of its own, even if the Bills win. Like, I still don't believe that there's a route for the Bills to win and for the conversations around the Bills and Patriots to end. The Bills can win by two touchdowns on Monday night, and the national media conversation on Monday morning will be, well, there's still a route for the Patriots. Like, it won't be, hey, the Bills answered everyone's concerns. The Bills shut up a lot of people. No, that won't be the narrative. The narrative will be the Patriots still have a chance. And I, and I think that's why the Bills have to win this game because it can't be the Patriots have locked this up. It has to be the Patriots can still have a chance, and that way when you travel to, to New England in a couple of weeks and take on the Patriots, that the meaning of that football game is less about like, okay, you know, where do the Bills get seeded to? Can the Bills finally shut everybody up by by sweeping the conference for the second year in a row and, and go 6-0? and and, and I think if, if you can get there um, – I, I'll feel better. I'll feel like I can trust this team again. But the next three games have gone to a place where I am now saying, I, I need them to win this football game to regain the trust that has been lost this season. And it has been lost. It just like, let's, let's just be real with that. It has been lost. Um, I, 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 I'm missing something here. Uh, I, I need to figure out a way to, to play this. W-E-E-I is our, quote, friends at WGR 550, quote, radio in, quote, Buffalo. Sales Sports and Sneaky Joe took issue with Keefe's hesitancy in selecting Josh Allen over Mac Jones, and we took issue with them not knowing Keefe's first name. Um, I don't know. It's a weird one. I, I'd, I'd like to listen to this. I'm going to have to send this to myself. Why don't I, uh, Zach, why don't I send this to you so you could post this on WGR's page? Because um, this is kind of funny. And I need to hear it. So I'll listen to it on my way out of here. But um, remind me again, who do we who do we have coming up here? Uh, coming up at the 130. So I'm going to take a timeout, and we've got a former New England Patriot. Yep, former New England Patriot tight end, Jermaine Wiggins. Jermaine Wiggins. I apologize for forgetting. So Jermaine Wiggins, uh, he was on the Extra Point Show yesterday. We'll bring him along here and replay that for you in the next minute here or two. If you missed any of our guests today, which it was a uh, it was a loaded lineup, Joe Yurden uh, earlier talking about the Sabres to start off the show, Sal Capaccio at 11.30. We had Mike Giardi of NFL Network at noon, Mark Schofield of the USA Today Touched on Wire at 12.30. And we just had Brandon Marcello uh, of 24-7 Sports talking some college football with me last segment. If you missed any of those, you can go to WGR550.com, check it out there, and... Um, yeah, we will. Uh, we'll, we're going to take a time out. Uh, we'll get you that that interview that's coming up next here on WGR. So don't go anywhere. And then uh, obviously we've got uh, coverage starting on Monday. The extra point show kind of kicks the uh, the Bills Patriots coverage off. That's on Monday. We'll get you an updated here as well from Zach. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll continue on here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one. They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday. Jermaine Wiggins, former New England Patriot, was on the Extra Point Show yesterday. We're bringing that interview right now. Bills, Patriots, Monday night football coming to town here to Orchard Park, New York. 
Sal Capaccio, Joe DiBiase here on the Extra Point Show. We do it every day, 10 to 12, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. You can catch us on the Odyssey app live. You can also rewind, go on demand. And, of course, please subscribe to the podcast. This show is uploaded as a podcast wherever you pod, iTunes, all those other places. You can hear the show. It's really quick. It's a couple hours. We get you everything you need to prepare for the game, including this Monday night against the New England Patriots. And we have a special guest joining us on the West Her Hotline right now. He is a former New England Patriots tight end. He is now currently a radio personality at our sister station, WEEI, in Boston, Jermaine Wiggins. Jermaine, it's Sal. It's Joe. Thanks for coming on today. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Hopefully your morning's going well. We, it is for it is here for sure. We're just uh, nervous anticipation, I guess, for Monday. I mean, uh, this is a big game here in Buffalo. Before I get to the game itself, I was looking over your pro football reference page, and I found it really amazing that according to this, your first start ever in the NFL came here in Buffalo in one of the worst weather games that has ever been played in that stadium with the wind and the snow in Week 16 of 2000. Yeah, I'll tell you what, that was one of the worst games ever. And it, it was one of those games that felt like it never wanted to end. I'll never forget me and uh, Terry Glenn were sitting on the bench next to each other, and it was freezing cold, heated bench, and we just looked at each other like, when is this game ever going to end? And it was one of those games where I try to go sleeveless, and you know, I was trying to be big boy like everybody else. By the second half, I was like, worst mistake ever made. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you caught three passes for 42 yards. The game goes to overtime. Uh, Christie misses one. Vinatieri has one block. Finally, Vinatieri uh, kicks the ball. What is it like, though, to try and do anything in that weather, whether that's run the ball and block as a tight end, you know, a down block, let's say, even, could get impacted because of the footing, or even just run a route? What's it like like that? Well, you know what? Especially that weather, that game was, was pretty bad. And, and, and I know the weather gets, you know, bad here in New England, but I know it gets even worse up there in uh, Buffalo. But it was like rain, sleet, snow, and the wind. You couldn't even, like, look up. Like, I remember there was a few times, you know, I was in my stance and I was trying to look up and see what the defense was in. But the way the wind and the sleet were hitting your face, it hurt just to even uh, look up. But it's very difficult to run in that type of weather, especially – uh, you know, back then, I think Buffalo was still playing on that field turf concrete. So now it's a little bit easier in this, uh, you know, this kind of rubbery field turf that everybody uses to kind of get your footing. But it's difficult to catch the ball. You know, your fingers feel like they're going to break. But it, and it's extremely difficult to throw the football when it's windy in those type of conditions. But, yeah, it, you know, offensively, it's very hard for you. I, I'm glad you brought up the old turf. Uh, as a high school player, I got a chance to play in the stadium on the old turf, and I remember we, uh, to prepare for it, we practiced at University of Buffalo close by, which also had the same turf, and I would come home with bloody knees all the time every night because it was just so ridiculous, like concrete, like you said, especially where yeah. it was painted, like painted in the end zone, painted on the middle of the field. The crown, like the crown, I was a little wide receiver, right? And I mean, literally, I was five yards below my quarterback when I did an out route. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, that was the old, old, you know, that was the days of the AstroTurf. It was, like you said, literally playing on concrete. Now you don't have to deal with the, as far as the field conditions as much, but you still got to deal with that weather. And I, and I think the weather in Buffalo on Monday, I, it might be a little bit of snow, but more windy than anything. Yeah, that's kind of what it's looking like right now. Like, what, what do you think, how does that play into the game and the way the Patriots play, the way the Bills play, if that's what it is? If it's a little bit of snow and a lot of wind, it seems like everyone seems to think it'd be advantage Patriots given the way they run their offense. Well, I, I would say advantage Patriots in the sense because 
the Patriots offense is more of a run first football team. But I would say advantage advantage Josh Allen in the sense that he's probably played in that weather before. He's been up there for what, going on four years. Where Mac Jones, this is gonna be his real first if it if the weather is bad. I mean you play at Alabama, what's the worst that you can uh weather wise you can deal with? I went to Georgia and Marshall University, so I, I know how weather can play a factor, but now when you're playing in the South, you don't have to deal with that type of weather. So this could be his first real test of really, really bad wind weather. So you give the advantage to Josh Allen that says he's played in it before. You know, he knows how to throw the football in that weather. Um, but as far as the way that the Patriots run their offense, they're more of a team that likes to run first with Buffalo. You know, they want to throw the football first, so you would have an advantage in that sense. So that, that's going to be interesting if the weather's going to be a factor into this football game because it could go either way um, based on just, you know, some of the things that I had said. So I'll be interested to see if that's a major factor uh, in this game come Monday night. The other thing that Mac Jones really hasn't done yet is played in front of this type of environment and a national TV primetime game in Buffalo, like on that kind of stage in front of this environment. Now, going to Alabama, of course, he was on the big stage. He did play at LSU. We looked that up to make sure. But this is a little bit of a different animal, right? I mean, the first uh, a rookie coming to Buffalo on a Monday night football game, you know the way this crowd can be. Oh, yeah. I mean, Buffalo, you know, we have this, well, we used to have this saying in the NFL, Buffalo was like, you know, the gulag of the NFL. No one wanted to go there. So now that you're going to have to play in an environment like that, we all know the stuff that they like to throw on the field and very hostile. But I don't think that affects Mac Jones in any way because just watching Mac, that's the one, you know, piece of credit I'll give him. Like, I don't think the kind of crowd – and, you know, whether it's playing on the road is something that really affects his performance. I think he's, he's really dialed in when it comes to that. He's not one of those, those kids that you see who gets caught up in all that nonsense and lets that affect his performance. I, I think he, he's put himself in a position right now. You know, he's played some games on the road. I know it's a little bit different in Buffalo, but I don't think that's going to be a major factor uh, for him when it comes to having to play up in Buffalo. Let's stay on Mac Jones for a second, because the hype is, is I don't want to say it's getting out of control. You're seeing a lot of uh, stat comparisons between Mac Jones and Tom Brady through the first 12 games of his career, and they are similar, like they are similar, but I don't know, how much of the credit that he's getting do you think he deserves? Has he really come in there, and has he been, like, has he been a lot better than the Patriots thought he was going to be, or they really coached him up? I think they've really coached him up, and, you know, as far as the expectations, I think a lot of fans here, it's exceeded their expectations. You know, I, we, when we talk about it on the Greg Hill Show, I kind of call him a passenger in the vehicle of the New England Patriots football team. People get, they tend to get upset with that because they think that's a negative thing or you call him a game manager. Right. But when you look at what the Patriots want to do, they want to play great defense. They're first in defense when it comes to points there. I believe they're uh, first in, in total defense. Or, or second in total defense, but they're in the top three. And you look at what they are, and they run the football. And Mac Jones, the thing he does a good job of, he doesn't put the team in a bad decision by uh, uh, situations by making the same mistake over and over and over, like we've seen a lot of young rookie quarterbacks do this year. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's playing for a great organization and a great coach in Bill Belichick. And you can see when not – I mean, obviously you guys know – when you don't have a good offensive coordinator and you got a kid like Josh Allen, you see the struggles that if he's not coached the right way, he can go through. And I think Mac Jones 
has done a great job of getting the coaching and taking the coaching and then applying it to what we've seen him do. More from former New England Patriot tight end Jermaine Wiggins when we return. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. All right, welcome back to our final segment here on Sports Talk Saturday, bringing you the rest of that Jermaine Wiggins interview that was on the Extra Point Show yesterday. Jermaine Wiggins, former Patriots tight end, current WEEI uh, radio personality, joining us here on the West Her Hotline. We are we were pl- having a little fun uh, earlier. We played the audio clip from uh, one of your shows over there, uh, Gresh and Keith, and the question was asked, who would you rather, who says no, Mac Jones for Josh Allen? I know that they were having a little fun with it, but stuff like that gets our ire up a little bit here, Jermaine. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, we, we, we know what we have. This is, a, this is a guy in Josh Allen, his third year, who was the runner-up to league MVP last year and only didn't win it because Aaron Rodgers played out of his freaking mind. So, I mean, like that kind of stuff is what's fueling our fire up here this week. Yeah, I, I mean, I heard that too, but I, I, we kind of talked about that briefly on, on our show this morning. But they asked me, and, I, and listen, I think Mac Jones is a, is a good player, and, and, you know, he's probably got a bright future ahead of him. But I would take Josh Allen. I, I mean, I'm not on, that, I'm not on that, that train of, you know what, I would pass up a guy like Josh Allen who was a runner-up to, you know, basically being a league MVP. Now, I know his first couple of years he struggled, but he's starting to – you don't pay a guy that much money if you don't feel like he is an elite quarterback, a top-five quarterback. So – yeah, I heard it, and I, I kind of was with Rich Keith because I think he was on the same page mm-hmm. with, you know what, if I had to switch, I would I would switch. I would take Josh Allen um, over Mac Jones. And there are a lot of people around here, man, that, you know what, hey, Mac is doing a great job, but they believe he's the next coming to Tom Brady. So, uh, uh, you know, you fight the fight of he, he's doing a good job, but here's where I think he is here in New England. And, and, and because they are successful and the team's successful – and he's doing a great job with his completion percentage as far as not making mistakes. I think a lot of people are instantly want to compare him to 2001 Tom Brady. So, you know, it's a, it's a good conversation, and hopefully he can be 2001 Tom Brady because that means the Patriots win the Super Bowl, and that's the only thing that matters to me is that my team wins. Let's uh, take take us into Bill Belichick this week, game planning, uh, in the room, what he's doing. I know you played on offense, but you know the way he puts together a game plan. Is it – it, who are they? Who are they looking to stop? Stephon Diggs, I would think. Maybe J.C. Jackson, you know, travels with him. I'm not sure, but given this wind and the way it's going to be, maybe it helps them do that a little bit. But who else is maybe the concentration? Is it Cole Beasley? Is it Dawson Knox? The Bills have plenty of weapons that they can go to. Well, I think you know you probably very similar to what you've seen, you know, them do against Kansas City, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe a double uh, Stephon Diggs. And you take him away and you go, if anybody's going to beat us, it's going to have to be the tight end, right? Dawson Knox, similar to a Travis Kelsey situation, because it's a lot harder for a tight end to beat you than it is for an elite playmaking wide receiver who can flip the field in one play, right? And so I think maybe that's something that you see them do. Maybe they double a little bit of Stephon Diggs and, you know, they're willing to give up some passes to, say, Dawson Knox or Cole Beasley, you know, guys, slot guy, because those guys, it's going to take them time for them to eat their way down the field, whereas if you give up a big play to Stephon Diggs, I mean, we've seen it last year, a crossing route, boom, next thing you know, it's a 40-yard touchdown. So I think that's the guy that you have to really focus on and say, we're not going to allow him to beat us, and then we're going to throw some things at Josh Allen to maybe hopefully confuse him a little bit, because I know Josh Allen's having a good year this year, but he's still making some mistakes that you go, wait a second, 
why did he throw the ball? You saw it last week against the Colts. You're like, wait a second, why is he throwing the ball there? So maybe you try to disguise some things to see if you could confuse him a little bit and give you an opportunity to create some turnovers. Jermaine, I don't know why I have done this, but uh, I'm putting myself through a bit of uh, misery here. After Tom Brady dominated the Bills the way he did for 20 years, I've been watching the Brady Man in the Arena documentary. Uh, it actually is pretty fascinating. I have a healthy respect for Tom. And as a 48-year-old dude myself who tries to be a weekend warrior, I still can't believe the things that he's doing at his age. Um, you were there in the early stages. You won a Super Bowl there with Tom Brady. Go ahead. I, I was just looking up to see if I could find any trivia for Jermaine here. Yeah. I found out that he caught Brady's second career touchdown pass. Wow, there you go, Jermaine. See, we're looking. We're all okay. over you here. So what? Um, what was? What was it like? Have you watched the documentary? And what was that time period like for you? Well, for me, I haven't really watched Man in the Arena. I know kind of what happened. I was there. I, I, I mean, I, I kind of lived that whole thing. Um, and the fact that he's still doing it at such a high. Uh, a high clip at his age. I mean, he, I, I've kind of known that his, his that's his discipline, that's his mindset. And I think what he's really doing now is just showing quarterbacks and that, hey, listen, if you take care of yourself and, you know, obviously, you know, you're blessed and fortunate enough, God looks out for you and you don't have to, you know, suffer any major injuries, you can play at a very high level into your, you know, early to mid-40s. Uh, but a lot of that is discipline. And, and Tommy. You know, he, he does a tremendous job of taking care of himself, and he's so focused when it comes to, you know, what he loves to do with playing football. Uh, um, so when you see him, you know, man in the arena, we see Tom versus Tom, I, I always felt like I didn't want them to move on from Brady, but what Bill did, I ultimately chose, you know, what Bill does and, and what he felt like was best for the team. But I knew once he landed in a place like Tampa Bay with that talent, the guy was still going to be successful. And, I mean, look at what he's doing this year, putting yeah. up the numbers that he he's putting up. So, hey, that's – I expected that, especially with all those weapons they have down there in Tampa Bay. And the Bills, ironically, faced Tom Brady after they faced the New England Patriots. Yep. They traveled to Tampa for that one. Jermaine Wiggins, thanks for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, be good. Happy holidays to you and the family. All right, same to you guys. Take care. All right, that- all right, that's Jermaine Wiggins. Thanks again to all of my guests. Thanks to Joe Yerden, Sal Capaccio, Mike Giardi, Mark Schofield, and, of course, Brandon Marcello for joining me today. If you missed any of our show, go to WGR550.com. On-demand audio. Check us out there. Coverage of Bills Patriots starts on Monday morning. Howard and Jeremy start at 6, and we'll bring you right until kickoff for Monday Night Football. I'm Nate Geary, and uh, I appreciate you listening here to Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.